TheLinguist.com, the power of language. Humbug, said Scrooge, and walked across the room. After several turns, he sat down again. As he threw his head back in the chair, his glance happened to rest upon a bell, a disused bell, that hung in the room and communicated for some purpose now forgotten with a chamber in the highest story of the building. It was with great astonishment and with a strange, inexplicable dread that as he looked, he saw this bell begin to swing. It swung so softly in the outset that it scarcely made a sound, but soon it rang loudly. And so did every bell in the house. This might have lasted half a minute or a minute, but it seemed like an hour. The bells ceased as they had begun together. They were succeeded by a clanging noise deep down below, as if some person were dragging a heavy chain over the casks in the wine merchant's cellar. Scrooge then remembered to have heard that ghosts in haunted houses were described as dragging chains. The cellar door flew open with a booming sound, and then he heard the noise much louder on the floors below, then coming up the stairs, then coming straight towards the door. It's still humbug. I won't believe it, said Scrooge. His color changed, though, when, without a pause, it came on through the heavy door and passed into the room before his eyes. Upon its coming in, the dying flame leapt up. As though it cried, I know him, Marley's ghost, and fell again. The same face, the very same. Marley in his pigtail, usual waistcoat, tights and boots, the tassels on the latter bristling like his pigtail, and his coat skins, and the hair upon his head, the chain he drew was clasped about his middle. It was long and wound about him like a tail, and it was made. For Scrooge observed it closely of cash boxes, keys, padlocks, ledgers, deeds, and heavy purses wrought in steel. His body was transparent, so that Scrooge, observing him, and looking through his waistcoat, could see the two buttons on his coat behind. Though he looked the phantom through and through, he saw it standing before him. Though he felt the chilling influence of its death-cold eyes and marked the very texture of the folded handkerchief bound about its head and chin, which wrapper he had not observed before, he was still incredulous and fought against his senses. How now," said Scrooge, caustic and cold as ever. "What do you want with me?" Much, Marley's voice. No doubt about it. Who are you? Ask me who I was. Who were you then? Said Scrooge, raising his voice. In life, I was your partner, Jacob Marley. Can can you can you sit down? Asked Scrooge, looking doubtfully at him. I can. Do it then. Scrooge asked the question. Because he didn't know whether a ghost so transparent might find himself in a condition to take a chair, and felt that in the event of its being impossible, it might involve the necessity of an embarrassing explanation. But the ghost sat down on the opposite side of the fireplace, as if it were quite used to it.
You don't believe in me, observed the ghost. I don't, said Scrooge. What evidence would you have of my reality beyond that of your senses? I don't know, said Scrooge. Why do you doubt your senses? Because, said Scrooge, a little thing affects them. A slight disorder of the stomach makes them cheats. You might be an undigested bit of beef, a blot of mustard, a crumb of cheese, a fragment of underdone potato. There's more of gravy than of gravy about you, whatever you are. Scrooge was not much in the habit of cracking jokes, nor did he feel in his heart, by any means waggish then, the truth is that he tried to be smart. As a means of distracting his own attention and keeping down his terror, for the spectre's voice disturbed the very marrow in his bones. To sit staring at those fixed, glazed eyes in silence for a moment would play, Scrooge felt, the very juice with him. There was something very awful, too, in the spectre's being provided with an infernal atmosphere of its own. Scrooge could not feel it himself, but this was clearly the case. For though the ghost sat perfectly motionless, his hair and skirts and tassels were still agitated, as if by the hot vapor of an oven. The Linguist dot com: The Power of Language.